Hello everyone, welcome back. Hope everyone is doing well and healthy. Today I'm here with my good friend Bronson Hill. Bronson, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, thanks so much, Garrett. So good to, to, to be here with you today. I love having conversations around leadership and personal development and real estate and just things in life that help us to get better. So I love that you're doing this. This is great. Thank you. Yeah, I know. When I was when I was first before I was thinking about doing the series, I thought I was like, who am I going to ask to join the show? I was like, you're the one of the first people I thought of because I know you're such a great guy and you have such a great portfolio. And I'm so excited for our viewers and listeners to really get to know you and learn the wisdom that you have both over the past years. Well, thanks, man. It's really, really a joy to be here. And again, it's I'm about personal growth. And obviously, you know, anybody uh, tuning into this, it's it's you know someone that really wants to improve themselves and wants to learn and wants to you know maybe encounter something that they haven't learned before. So that's kind of the ways that I've I've really grown a lot is through uh, things like this, where just listening to people that are maybe a step ahead in a certain direction. I'm like, huh, that's, I haven't really thought of that. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could make money this way or I could I could learn these certain things that will help me with my relationships or to be a better person. So I think it's great. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Okay, yeah. So um I should, should I say I'm a drug dealer now or is that late enough? <laughs> I'm just joking. Oh, I thought it, that question's a little challenging to answer because I have a lot of hats that I wear, I have a lot of things that I've done. I'd say uh, who I really am is I'm a person of faith, uh, somebody who's spiritual I'm somebody who uh, loves people, and I like living life with purpose. I think that's beyond uh, what we do. Now, what I do is I uh, help people become financially free through real estate investing. I work with a group where we uh, buy apartment buildings, and we receive investment from passive investors who get a consistent double-digit uh, return on their investment. So it's exciting helping people become financially free. Uh, one of my passions is actually, and kind of my why, is really fighting human trafficking in the world. I think, you know, today there's somewhere between uh, 20 and 40 million human slaves in 2020, which is just un terrible. And so to me, that that's a cause that's really worth living and dying for. So that's a little bit about myself. Um, so I think leadership in general is... The ability to influence another person. So, you know, if you think you're a leader and you turn around and nobody's following you, then you're just taking a walk. And so kind of the idea of, you know, how are you influencing other people uh, positively uh, for, for, your, for the goal, for, for whatever you find is important? Because uh, I don't think leadership is a position. It's not like, oh, you're in charge or you're the manager or you're the CEO or you're the director. Um, that's more of a positional leadership. I think that leaders, true leadership is when people follow you by choice because of who you are and because of the direction you're going and because they believe in the vision that you've created for the future. And that's why I found I really follow people I respect or people will follow other people is because they see something that this person is headed this direction and it's some, it, this is the type of person that I want to follow. This is the kind of future that they're creating that I want to be a part of. In many organizations, the team members always have to follow their leaders' um, decisions and their roles. How would you know as that leader, how would you know if you have influence with your team members or if they're, how do you distinguish if they're just following you because they have no choice? Yeah, I think um, one way to tell is, let's say you are a manager or you're a boss or you have, you know, employees or you have a team. Um, you can see if people are really following you 
if their heart is really in it. And what I mean by that is, is it's, it's not just, a, again, if it's a nine to five and there's certain expectations of a job, that's one thing. Uh, one thing, another thing John Maxwell says is that he believes some of the best leaders exist in nonprofits or uh, religious organizations because there's no, there's no incentives of pay or firing or any stuff like this. So if somebody's following, again, because they want to, and sometimes I'll even see places where people go to work and they'll, they'll work extra hours. They'll come in on the week or, or they'll be, their hobby is like to help develop this because they so believe in the passion and the mission. Uh, my sister is an amazing leader. My sister, Blythe Hill, she leads an organization called Dressember. And so during the month of December, uh, women wear dresses and guys wear ties or bow ties to raise money for human trafficking. She's one of the reasons I got you know, interested in human trafficking, but they've raised over $10 million in the last six years. And so how she's done that, she's basically inspired people to look at this greater future. And basically, there's been results people have followed. People have bought in and said, yes, I believe in this vision. I believe in something that, you know, that nobody's paid to do this. In fact, they give of their time. They give money. They help other people to give money to it because, again, it's, it's passion more than the, the future is greater. It doesn't always exist in nonprofits. I would say another guy who's doing this in some ways and is, is someone like, uh, you know, what Steve Jobs did or what Elon Musk did is they're creating a new future where it's like, hey, why can't we have self-autonomous electric cars everywhere? Or why can't we go live on Mars? They're having something so compelling that people are like, I would do anything to go work for this person. I would do anything to be a part of this mission because it's a mission that I believe in. That's great. I like how you mentioned the nonprofits. I mean, then we took that into consideration. You know, that's, I think that's a really good example of true influence because, I mean, they're there just to benefit someone else. And so, because I'm pretty sure they don't expect much financially, but having that kind of reason to be inspired to work towards common goals is a great way of influence and leadership. Exactly. Yeah, it really is. It's it, it, the most uh, inspirational leaders. I think when we think of leaders, it's, it can be politicians or it can be business leaders, but, uh, or, or even other sort of, you know, Mother Teresa type of figures. But I think it's people that really touch our heart and again, will create this new future and, and, and kind of really make the impossible happen. Something that does not exist today. And they'll basically mobilize people around a mission of like, you know, what would happen if we did this? Is this possible? Well, it is possible if, if we, we all, we all do our part and we all come together to do this. And that's, I think that's really what compelling leadership is, is it's, some, it's somebody who you want to follow because their character that you can tell they're, they're fully committed to it. And the, you know, who they are is, is, is they become that person that the mission is stronger than the person. If you look at Martin Luther King or you look at, uh, which I've, I've been looking a lot at Gandhi and Martin Luther King lately, is that these people actually became, they were so committed to the mission that it was more important than their life. Like literally they were giving their life to the mission and they're really giving their life to a mission. But again, they, they, they became, they, they became that type of person that, you know, when MLK said, okay, I'm in Montgomery, Alabama, they need this. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to be this person. I mean, he was getting death threats and different things, but he said, you know, this is more important. This cause is more important than my life. I see myself as part of this. And just going forward in this is so, so important. The same with Gandhi. It was like such a commitment to it that it doesn't even matter whether I live or die. What matters is that this cause is fulfilled. And so I think that true leadership, whether it's for business, it's nonprofit, it's for anything, there's got to be some of that level of calling and purpose and what am I actually doing? Because those are the people I think that we really want to follow. Wow. 
That was me. <laughs> well, sometimes like selflessness and I guess humility comes. Sounds like where they that kind of, they kind of come from. Yeah, I, I've heard that um, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's it's thinking of yourself less, or or it's or it's not thinking of yourself at all. So kind of the idea is if the mission or the vision or where you're going is more important than. Who you are, it's just, well, it, it all, the only thing that matters is how you fit to be able to mobilize people or to be a part of that. And so that's what's really compelling, too, is when somebody really believes that as a leader, it, it's so compelling because you get the sense, man, this person, if they didn't have the ability to be a communicator, a lot of leaders are great communicators, let's say they couldn't communicate, they didn't have the resources, the time, whatever, that they would literally be a janitor, sweep the floors, they would pick up the trash, they would do things that nobody else wanted to do because they believe so strongly in that. And I think that that is so uh, electric and so exciting that people sense it and they're like, yes, I will sweep the floors and clean the toilets and do, I'll, I will do everything that nobody else wants to do because it's part, it's for the cause, it's for the mission. And so again, and this is kind of rare in businesses that I see, it does happen sometimes, but um, you know, you'll see it a lot with just things that are really, really, um, you know, life changes. I mean, human trafficking is one. There are many, many others. I mean, there's a lot of things people get excited for. Some people are excited about helping homeless people. Other people, it's in business. It's about empowering people to start their own business. Or it's about, for me, I love helping people who can become financially free to, to do what they're here to do and live out their purpose. So, again, I think it's it's creating the vision and really walking in that for, um, you know, what the, what what a better future looks like. What are some common years of business? Uh, well, I, I will say this, Garrett, I, I, I thought about a little bit about this, the idea that like the, the ways that I've learned the most from leadership, uh, and most about leadership has been from leaders that I really don't want to emulate in certain ways. And I think an example, so you learn from good leadership about what bad leadership looks like. You're like, hmm, that really didn't feel well. Take a note. I don't want to do that again. Note to self. So like, I think of a, a time when I was in my twenties and I was working for a uh, a nonprofit organization and the leader of this organization was an ex-cop and it was, it was just very intimidating, very intense, uh, would just kind of tell everybody what he thought of people. It was, there was this huge fear-based leadership and I, I personally think that fear-based leadership, like if you don't do this, you're going to get fired. You're going to be like, like people that yell or they use other ways to control people. I, I think it's, it's a weak form of leadership because you're not really inspiring people. You're not really calling things out of people to become their best. You're really kind of putting fear in them so that, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to get fired. If you don't do it, I'm going to yell at you. If you don't do it, I'm going to, get, I'm going to punish you. So I, I went through a time, and I don't know if it was insecurity, either my insecurity, their insecurity, a combination of both. It was just a really hard time for me personally. And I think I didn't really sense that I had, I had a couple of different leaders there, but I didn't sense that I had leaders that really believed in me more than the cause, more than the job, more than just, hey, I'm here to do a job and this is all it is and you're a cog in the wheel and just do your job and shut up and, and be happy that you have a job. And it's like, I, I think that's a very poor way, way to lead. And so I think that's also another trap is that some leaders can basically say, uh, you know, this cause is so important. The job, everything is so important that people and their own personal feelings as well as their own personal goals or development is not important. And I think great leaders will say, you know what, the mission is very important, but what's really important right now is this person, is who this person is, their feelings, their their goals, how they're gifted, really helping them develop as a person. I think that's a challenging thing to, to do as a leader, but I think it's so, so important. I think, and at times, I've done well with that. I remember I had a time at a team of like uh, seven or eight interns each summer for this nonprofit I was working with. I remember it was challenging. It's challenging to balance that. How do you develop people? 
while you're really focused on what the mission is. And it's, so it's hard. So I think those are a couple of things. Um, and then I think the last thing I was going to say is just that the idea of somebody who's kind of a, a one way leader, like, like there's like, here's what I want you to do. And here's what I want you to do it. And versus somebody who says, here's the outcome I want. And it's up to you to figure out how you want to do it. Like, you don't, we, I, like, I'm not going to tell you how to do this. Here's some ways that have worked for me, but it's up to you how to figure it out. And it's challenging. Because sometimes you know, proven ways a leader, you're like, I know the best way to do this. It's this, this, this. So, so I'm sharing that as, hey, this is, this is how I've done it. But if you find a better way, another way, you know, please feel free. And it allows people to have some autonomy in the way they do things and they feel less controlled. And I think in jobs in general, or just in, in, in tasks, they've done studies and they've shown that people that are, they have autonomy to, to, to do it the way they want to do it, they actually are much happier because it gives you more control over your work. So if it's like the goal is to create this great new product and, and yet, you know, you've given some guidelines, here's some things about it, but if it's like here's step A, step B, step whatever, it's like to be able to have some control over that, I think is really, really great. But then again, it, not everybody wants that either. So I just know for me, that's been really hard when someone said, fit into my box, do it this way. And if you don't do it exactly this way, then you're just not a fit. It's like, that, that's been, that's hard for me. I can definitely see that. I've had some managers and bosses like that too, where they're just like, do this, do that. It's like, ah, ah, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah. 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 I feel suffocated. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm being micromanaged on, you know, moving the paper from here to there or something ridiculous like that. So, yeah. I know you have a background in medical device sales. Uh, what are some principles that you learned from being in sales that have helped you become successful in leadership? So I think um, the biggest thing I would say, there are some people that would say about organizations or just in general in life that everyone is in sales or everybody, if you have a job, you're in sales. Um, what that means is everybody from, you know, kind of that whole idea of everybody's committed to be a part of the team, whether you're cleaning the toilets or you're somebody who's on the phone calling people to buy something, or you're setting up the, the website and you're doing customer service or whatever. Uh, there, there's all different tasks. And I think that um, sales is very important for everybody because I think it's important to be able to explain what it is that's important to you. I mean, a lot of sales is influence. It's being able to kind of help people understand something that may help them better um, and to do it in a way that doesn't feel salesy. Does that make sense? So a lot of people like, no one wants to be sold but everybody wants to have people help solve their problems. Uh, and so that to me, good salespeople help solve problems. They don't come in and say, you look great, Garrett, in that nice 1965, you know, Chevy out there. Like, like that's not like, you know, I mean, just let me run, run away because it's, it's not somebody who's really taken into account. Well, what are my needs? What do I want? What's a problem I have? Whatever. So I'll share a story briefly. When I was uh, first starting in sales, um, I, I called it, I would, I would go into medical offices and you'd have the person at the front desk and you can imagine this for yourself for those that are in sales or those are not. Some people say they'd rather be shot than have to go to, you know, cold call on businesses and have them buy stuff, which I, I, I get, but it's, it's very awkward. I'm going in there and Hey, how's it going? Hey, we have this and this. And I did what I would call, uh, I talked to the person at the front desk and they'd be answering phones and coordinating patients coming in and out. And I'd say, um, Hey, uh, you know, we have this product. Do you, you know, it has this, this, and this feature, whatever. And it was just like, they just weren't interested at all. They were just not interested at all in what I had to share. And I just, it had kept happening again and again and again. And then I finally said, you know, something's got, I got to do something different here. So I picked up a book. Uh, it was actually called Spin Selling. I might even have it. Uh, let me have it around. Maybe I don't. Let's see if I had it. It's called Spin Selling. Uh, it's a great book, but it basically talks about um, the idea that when you sell, the best thing you can do instead of, presenting information 
is really ask questions. And so I completely changed my approach to it. I basically went to like, instead of telling him all these great things I had with my product, I just went in and I started asking questions and I'd be like, uh, do you guys have this problem? Do you, you know, and they'd be like, well, yeah. And I said, well, how do you do, you do this? Do you do this, do this? And I ask about three or four good questions. And then they'd start sharing all this stuff like, oh yeah, we have this problem. We don't know how to do it, you know? And then I said, as I asked that, and then they'd stop and they'd be like, wait, who are you again? And what are you doing? I said, oh, well, my name is Bronson. I work for this company. We actually have a solution for this. And so again, it's, it's a very, very different approach than like, here, let me tell you what you need versus let me hear about your problems. Uh, so I, I think in leadership, there's some real parallels to that. Because I think a lot of people, uh, there's the idea that uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so a lot of times what people will ask is um, kind of the question of, you know, can, can uh, the first question is, uh, do I trust you? Do I, do I trust you? And when somebody asks questions and they're really interested in who you are and what it is you're doing, they will open up and then they will develop some trust there. And then the second question is, you know, can, can you help me or can this person actually help me? And so I think in leadership, people are doing the same thing. A leader is always selling their, themselves in the sense they're selling their vision. They're selling what it is this future looks like. They're selling what this product, the company, the whatever, but it comes in, in really selling it in a way that's like, hey, let me help you with what you're going through and the problems that you have. And it's finding a way to really be committed more about solving the problem, even if it's not with your products or your stuff or your services or even your vision as a leader, it's really just helping people get where they need to go. Because then what will happen is when the time is right and they do need your services, they'll, they'll buy from you or they'll come back to you or they'll refer somebody else, or at least it'll be a positive interaction when you go back versus, you know, going up to a place, hey, do you want to buy a copier and, and just being shut down and then having to come back, hey, do you want, like, there's really nowhere to go with that because, again, it's just a very one-sided so a relationship. So as a leader, you have to really look at it as where is this person coming from? Who is this person? What are the problems they're facing? What are the things they're going through? And the more you can understand that, the more it allows you to really provide something that can help them. And a leader will do that as well. A leader will basically bring a solution into a situation where somebody didn't even know existed and help inspire them to see that that could be a possibility for them. Well, I really like the definition of sales. It's, uh, especially now people are very like hesitant when they hear sales, you know, it's very like, it's a very, um, I guess, everyone keeps their guard up, but like when you understand the true purpose of sales, it's not what they think, but it's really for to solve a solution, like you said, and it's, I'm here to help you instead of, here, 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 I'm trying to sell you something, so. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a big problem because I think it just, I see it because a lot of the sales people I've worked with are people that are in sales. There's such a, I just, I don't know what good to call it except for kind of greed or love of money. There's this huge like excitement for just making the sale or just being around, uh, you know, trying to get something from somebody versus really saying, how can I serve this person? How can I help them? And uh, one of the guys I work with talks about how can we create value for people? Like if you can create value for people, they're going to value you because you become a valuable person part of their team, or you're providing information that's really valuable. And so I think that that's something is, is providing value, even if you don't get paid on it. And I think over time, you provide enough value, people say that, hey, we really need this person around, because they're, you know, they're providing so much value to us. That's great. Uh, as an investor, as a business or leader, it doesn't matter. You always need some kind of business strategy. How do you do? How do you develop one? So yeah, business strategy is is interesting because it's um, you know it, there's there's different aspects to it. I think the first thing is really to define what it is your goal is. Like, what are you looking to do? Like, what does the vision look like? Like, is it you know you want to make 
$100 million and you want to give it all away, you want to uh, stop all human trafficking in the world, like what would that actually look like and try to visualize, okay, if this happened, what exactly would that be? And I think that it's hard to get, you know, really laser focused on. There's ways you can do that. And okay, if that means if, if my goal is to create a business and it's going to have this much revenue or it's going to impact this many people or this many people are going to be able to uh, stop working for, you know, corporate jobs and be able to work for themselves. Like, well, how, how would I actually measure that and try to create some measurables there and some real goals and kind of trickle down to see what the impacts of that are. Um, another thing I, what I, I call is the idea of a low risk, in, uh, a low risk uh, experiment. So basically there's been a lot of things in my life. Like I, one of my things I love is just learning. And one of the best ways to learn is just to try something new. So if you've never tried, something, you know, say, okay, well, hey, I've got a friend who does this, and I'm really interested to learn to see how this would work. Or if I got involved in real estate, like, what would that look like? Well, maybe if I went to a meetup, or I started reading some books, or I, or I started to, uh, you know, one of the ways I got involved with real estate is, uh, I have this cousin who's a real estate investor, and he's very successful. And I had a plan, I basically was doing single family houses, which a lot of people think that, they're going to become financially free by buying single family houses. And what really happens is um, a lot of times it doesn't happen because you just kind of get another job. It's you get very busy. And so my cousin Wes came to me and said, well, you know, Hey, this is not a bad idea. Now you want to get all these houses. Why don't you do multifamily? And so he kind of created this, this idea for me. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. So what I decided to do is say, okay, well, I see what he's doing. This is interesting. Um, why don't I, you know, read some books, get involved. Maybe I ended up starting a meetup, I, you know, in Pasadena, which you've been to and just, just starting new things to try to see how it goes. And then it turned out I was actually able to raise some money for a multifamily deal. And again, this is very low risk. There's very little money out of pocket for it. It took some time, but it's not like, Hey, if this doesn't work out, I'm going bankrupt or I've, I bought some, you know, 40, $30,000, you know, training course. And all of a sudden I'm in debt. I had to put on my credit card to get it or something. You know, there's ideas of like a low risk experiment where it involves time and energy. And if it doesn't work, um, you know, it, it won't kill you. And I think of, uh, I want to share the story. There's Richard Branson. Um, he's here at Virgin uh, Airlines. And one of the things that happened to him is he negotiated a deal with the airlines that even before he started, he said, well, he had a way to kind of rent these planes. And if it didn't work out, he would just simply be able to like return the planes. Like there was really no, like he didn't have like hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever, all these other things. It was kind of like, yeah, he was able to use it, but he was able to negotiate it to where like, if it just didn't work out, he would just return the planes. Like, which, I mean, that sounds really simple, but a lot of it, you didn't have, you didn't have to buy a hundred million dollar planes and do, you know, get billions and billions of dollars. He was just kind of able to rent and get in. And so there was a lower, uh, like if you fail, you're not going to be uh, destroyed. So anyway, that's something I think that's important. The last thing I want to say is just the idea of, really getting a mentor you know mentors i think are really important so you can bounce your ideas of what your vision is uh, what you're looking to do what your ideas are what's going well what's not going well i think those things are really important i think having a mentor or having multiple mentors are, are is very very important that's great i know you did talk about some real estate multifamily and i know you're with the night equity and to say your team is good is such an understatement and you have michael blong as well more well-known people in mother family gary lynch he's brought a company from zero to 3400 units i mean you guys definitely have a, a star team how do you develop such a great team like that yeah no that's a good question i mean i think that um i will say that this is not my team so i'm a member of the team so i'm not the leader of the team but um, i did have my own platform and i decided to actually join michael and and the nighthawk team because of 
the skills, the leadership, the vision, what was already there. So I think that's actually interesting as well. But I think that one of the things you can do or anybody can do is really work on developing themselves, find a specialty, just start working somewhere and figure out where you fit. So for example, in doing large multifamily investing deals, we typically are buying uh, properties that are kind of in the 10 to $20 million range. There's different things that you can do if you're on a team. So Garrett helps, he helps find deals. He finds these deals and helps negotiate them and walk through. And there's quite a process to walk through to actually close on a property. Sometimes it can take months of time. It's not just like a house. It can take longer. Other things come up. And then, um, you know, we have uh, Drew who does a lot more of the asset management and the bigger kind of process of how all this kind of goes together. To me, I help raise the money. So uh, the last 12 months, I've raised $7.5 million. And so, you know, you just try to find out what are the things that you do. And even among that, so to me, I realized like, okay, maybe I'm not the guy who's able to find deals or I don't have as much experience managing apartments, but I do know about working with money. I do know about working with people. I do have some sales skills. I do have some of these things. So I thought really, what can I do to really help, uh, you know, educate people about multifamily? I've started, I, I recommend anybody, if, you, if you're interested in, in, in learning more is, is to start communicating with people what you're learning. Talk to people, have conversations. There's somebody, a MailChimp or one of these accounts that are they're like 10 or $15 a month. You can just email everybody, or, or even I think they have a free account. You can email everybody updates on what's going on in your life, the things that you're learning, the things that you're adding value to. So for me, like that's a way that I realized like, okay, this is, this is my focus, is raising money, is really helping people to see the vision, the people that are invested in Wall Street, especially after the 30% drop recently, of like, what does it look like to do something that is a historic double-digit returns, that does not have these volatility of the stock market? I'm creating this new vision that somebody could actually potentially retire with passive income through multifamily real estate. So I'm basically helping people on that road. So I guess the biggest thing you can do uh, is learn, grow, educate yourself. We say it in, at, at Phoebe, which is this real estate group that we're a part of, uh, you and me, Garrett. But the, uh, the idea of education and the other part of that is networking. So the idea is, you, you know, you're educating yourself, you're reading books, you're learning, you're watching videos like this, you're doing things to try to really develop yourself uh, in every way. And the second thing is you're getting around other people that are doing the same thing. And there's a real synergy in that. Because if you're just doing study and doing all this stuff on your own, and you never network with anybody else, First of all, you're going to be limited in when the ideas you're exposed to because guys like Garrett and Michael and Drew and these guys, they'll bring things like, oh, hey, do you thought about this? Or what about this? Or they'll hear about somebody doing something. And it's like you, you get a whole new area of things you can go study. So I think that, that there is a lot of power in that. I love going to live events such as meetups, uh, sometimes even some expensive networking events. I don't necessarily recommend you know, paying twenty or $30,000 for a course or a weekend or something like that. Um, I guess there are some exceptions, but... I will pay thousands of dollars to go on a uh, on a cruise with other investors, and I've done that, and it was one of the most life changing events of my life. And um, so again, it's it. I think it's really being around the right people, and it's really educating yourself. It was very long winded, but that was a great answer. I like I mentioned network. Um, I know my uh, I kind of grew up like being shying away from networking because my dad kind of had like a bad taste for me, so it kind of got to us, and so like. Once I started networking, I was like, wow, but it makes such a difference in knowledge and experience and confidence. I think it's just like it's a total booster in everything that you do. So I think that's it's a great way to really build such a great team. Yeah, Christina Suter, who you know as well, helps lead the Phoebe Pasadena. She says, you know, your network is your net worth. Like how you treat your network, it really becomes your net worth. So that's 
Uh, I joined a group called EO, which is Entrepreneurs Organization, and every person in here has a business that generates over a million dollars in revenue. So these are people that are really doing a lot. So being around people that are wanting to grow themselves, or wanting to network, they want to do all this, I get a lot out of that because I'm basically around peers that are also really trying to learn and grow and develop themselves in similar ways. That's great. Um, in business and real estate, sometimes things don't go as planned. As a leadership team, how do you deal with um, those? Well, Garrett, they, they always go as planned. They always go better than planned. No. Um, yeah, no, th things come up, as you know, I mean, in, in life, like life, right? And just stuff comes up, you know, you're, you're, yeah, things will come up from time to time. So um, yeah, things do come up. And so what we try to do is, again, a lot of what I do is working with investors on the front end to really get people prepared for this is a real estate investment. You know, if, if it goes phenomenally well, we're going to you know, have way higher returns than we thought. And we have a number of deals to do that. If it doesn't go well, it's going to be around here. And we're still making money, but we're kind of typically in this range. So a lot of it's setting expectations. So I kind of work a lot. And then when people are upset or they don't understand, I'll kind of try to talk them and walk them through it. We just want to make sure that it really is a good fit. Because if somebody comes in and they're like, I'm looking for a one-year investment where I can get a you know, five times the money, whatever. And I was like, well, you know, we're, we're probably not in the, speaking the same language. This really isn't a good fit. So you really want to make sure, obviously, that somebody's a good fit for whatever it is you're doing if you bring somebody on board. Um, so, you know, we did have a, uh, a property that uh, recently that we, we had some stuff go, you know, it, it didn't go as well as we would hope uh, in the sense that we uh, did a bunch of renovations. We had a little bit higher vacancy than we thought. And so, uh, we ended up switching property management companies and we're, you know, the, the thing, it's turned around, but it took a little longer than we thought. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting the rent, you know, how it works with multifamily apartments is that you'll come in and you'll do repairs and then you'll increase the rents with people, new people that move in. So you basically, somebody just naturally moves out. I mean, most people move out within a year or two at apartments. So as they move out, you just kind of do some renovations and you raise the rent for the next people moving in. And so, um, you know, we're seeing those, those rent bumps come in. But uh, it doesn't always go exactly, you know, according to plans. Sometimes we'll think, oh, yeah, we're going to be, you know, uh, having this place completely full at 95% occupancy right away. And, and, you know, if you're at 75 or 70 or 80%, like, like that's lower than you'd expect it. And, and that happened. And so what do we do? How do we deal with that? And so we ended up bringing in uh, a uh, kind of a specialty leasing consulting group to come in and help work with that, bring people in. And they've done a great job. So we've been able to turn that place around. So, um, yeah, so I guess just, just, I think for us, it's really being honest about what the risks are. Uh, also, when we, when we underwrite the deal, which just means how we uh, break it down, we kind of analyze, okay, this is how we think it's going to grow. We try to be very, very conservative. So one example of this is if we see rents grow, going up by 3% per year, uh, we will not assume, like some other groups will say, oh, rents are going to go up by 3% every year for the next five years. Like, well, no, let's assume like maybe 1.5%. Let's put, assume a lower growth rate or assume expenses are going to be higher or they're just things are less favorable so that you're bringing the expectation down. So a lot of times people can get upset. Again, we have this last deal we did. We had 75 investors. So I'm kind of helping to manage the expectations of 75 people. And then at times, you know, things will go well and at times some things won't go well. So how do you manage that? How do you talk with people? And people have their own process of how they go through all that. So I guess I know that's a lot uh, of information, but I just think it's, it's really trying to communicate, manage expectations, execute. It doesn't go well, um, you know, being able to circle back and communicate, hey, guys, you know, this, this didn't go exactly as we planned, but here's our plan. Here's what we're doing now. 
and just be open to, you know, you know, the worst thing we can do is when there's a problem, just stop communicating because then people are like, what the heck? I gave you money. I followed you. I, I, I'm doing this job. You're my leader and you're not even talking to me. So I think that, you know, just continuing the communication, especially when things get, uh, you know, are not going as well is very important. And you were saying earlier that you raised 7.5 million and I'm sure that's a lot of investors to actually bring into the deals, but how many investors, investors did you have to actually talk to, to get to those to actually close with you? Yeah, so we, we have a metric on, I mean, I'd say in the last 12 months, I've had calls with, I have to look at the exact figure, probably about 800 investors total. So, uh, and I think, you know, from what we've had, uh, we haven't had a deal in the last few months, but uh, that's going to become available. But it's, it's typically of those that I have calls with, it's about 20% invest. Um, and the average investment is about 70,000. So, the, you know, it's interesting, the more you can measure, um, you know, you do this certain activity, and you know if you if you're looking to especially if it's something a new activity such as raising money for a deal typically i'd say if somebody's really sure they can raise about you know 500,000 for a deal or they're going to raise a certain amount from friends and family then just you know divide it about half i remember the first deal i did I, I talked to like 62 friends and family whatever and i i not honestly none of them invested uh the person who invested with me was somebody that i met at a meetup that I was leading and they just first time I met them I said yeah I'd, I'd invest with you if you had a deal and so I got together with coffee and they turned out in investing some money in a deal which was amazing I was kind of floored that that type of thing happened so sometimes too when it comes to um, you know raise especially raising money um, it, I think it really what's important is to uh, try different things be open and then also if you can be whatever you're doing if you can try to start something or be a leader or be someone who's creating content or doing something around it. People have a much easier time kind of following because they've kind of read or seen or followed some of the things that you've done and they're, they're interested to, uh, to be a part of that, which I think is pretty cool. thought process when you try to, when you're talking to investors that you would like them to invest. Yeah. I mean, I think the approach really is, um, I have a whole format to it, but just really kind of giving them, you know, an outline of, hey, you know, these are people that we have created a platform around multifamily real estate. So it's not just like I'm going up to some random person saying, hey, would you like to invest in apartments? It's, it's typically comes from a place of adding value. And then they have reached out saying, hey, I'd be interested to get on your deal list and learn more. And so what I try to do is just kind of, you know, give them an outline. Hey, we're going to talk about this on the call. I'm going to ask you some questions to see if you would be a good fit for us. And then I'm just going to give you, you know, a five minute intro of kind of, this is what we do. These are some core values. This is what we're about. But I think the biggest thing that I really look for and I try to communicate is that we're not a, you know, we're not some fly by night company. We are really looking for partnership. We're really looking for people that aren't looking to invest a hundred thousand or 75,000 for a deal. We're looking for somebody, you know, a group or a person that would be a partner long-term and would want to do multiple deals together over time. So I think that the idea of, you know, educating people, talking about this is what we do. Are we a good fit? And there's been times on a call, I've just said, you know, I just don't think this is a good fit. So, um, you know, just because you're not a fit, or you're not, a, you know, a perfect fit for, for one person doesn't mean that you're not going to be a fit for someone else. So I think that just the idea of 
creating some sort of value even before people know you and giving them a chance to connect with you is, is, is great. And I know a guy, you know, I see Michael Blanc, who I work with at Nighthawk, he's got this huge platform. We have like 10,000 downloads per episode. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Over the last, you know, a year or so. Uh, I know another guy who has no platform, doesn't have a website. He really has, you know, just after email and phone and he has raised over, he raised over $10 million last year. And, and so like, it doesn't necessarily take that, but I think what's really important is that people see that we're committed to helping them uh, for what their goals are. And if for some reason we can't help them, we have to say, you know what, this just really isn't a good fit. And, and to have that type of abundance mindset to where it's like, you know what, I'm just, we're here doing this, this is what we're gonna do. If you wanna be a part of it, it's great, but if not, that's fine too. So I just try to you know, really help people understand like, hey, we're committed to your financial freedom. And so here's some resources that can help you. But if you want to invest with us, that's great. And if you don't, that's totally fine too. That's a good point. As a, as a startup, they're trying to get someone to invest in them. It's like, here, 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 here's my, here's my deal or business, invest in it. But you guys are coming from a, what's, what do you, what do you want for your life? Oh, that's what you want. Great. Here's an avenue for you that that may interest you, and then that's definitely uh, more of a friendlier approach, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it really is. It's something that it people people can feel. They can feel the uh, you know if if you really care for them, or if it's just all about you. And I think that is really translatable into any kind of leadership. So definitely agree. <laughs> and I know I've been to your uh, meetup, your other meetup group, uh, the Power of Vulnerability by Brienne. Brown, uh, how has that helped you become a better leader? Yeah, so Brené Brown, uh, she's written a lot of books. There's a book called The Gifts of Imperfection. If, if someone hasn't read it, it's an amazing book. It's, it's about 150 pages. And it's just, I remember I would read it and it was just, I'd never heard anybody say the things that she said. And she would talk about the idea of wholehearted living. She'd talk about, you know, people that love you, not because of, excuse me, not uh, despite your imperfections, but because of them. And so kind of the idea of like us allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in certain situations with safe people and how amazing that is when somebody opens up about their story. I mean, I feel so valued when, you know, you open up and say, hey, this is something I've been through and this is what's happened in my life. And here's an area of pain where like, I just feel like, wow, that's, that just feels really good. Um, so also another thing when it comes to leadership, a lot of cultures and Brené Brown, she does a lot of um, leadership and, and different consulting for businesses. And she says that all these companies will be like, well, we want to have a lot of creativity and we want innovation and we want all these things, whatever. And then she looks at their, their corporate structure and there's like no ability to fail. There's no ability. There's no freedom to like stand up and have ideas and say, what about this? Whatever. They want everything to be perfect the first time. And she said, no, like, like the idea of vulnerability, if you create something, the idea of creating anything and showing it to the world is a vulnerable experience. Because if I'm a painter and I paint something and people think it's amazing, that's great. But if people think it's terrible, what do I feel about myself? I feel, oh man, that's like an extension. I love this thing and people hate it. And maybe I'm no good at painting or maybe I'm a music artist or even if I do uh, a business venture, I do anything. So the idea of even in business or as a leader, uh, giving people freedom to create and giving things a chance to succeed or fail and it being okay. Hey, we tried, we learned something, we moved on. And I think that's something that a lot of businesses and a lot of people really don't have uh, kind of the long-term approach for. And I think our whole, uh, Robert Kiyosaki talks about this. He wrote the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. If you have not read that book, I highly recommend that book. It's a great, great book. But he says that what will happen in education is people will 
you'll be taught that there's only one right answer, right? Like, well, you know, this is the answer, you know, it's uh, this plus this equals this. And that's exactly what it is. There's no other interpretation versus art and business and creativity. Well, there's multiple answers. Well, in school, you can't collaborate. It's called cheating. But, it, you know, when it comes to working in business or in life, like collaborate, it's collaboration. You're helping, you're getting better, you're learning, you're getting mentors, you're working, you're, there's, there's partnership. So I think that there's a lot of things in leadership like that, that it, it just requires you to be willing to put yourself out there. And there's one of my favorite quotes, um, I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but it's, uh, it's the idea of daring greatly. And it's from Teddy Roosevelt. It says, it's not the, the critic that counts, uh, not the one who's kind of, you know, watching someone who's in the arena boxing and, 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 you know, sees them kind of making mistakes, whatever, but it's the person who's actually in the arena who, you know, through blood, sweat, and tears, you know, at, at worst, or at best, they know great success and at worst they fail, but they fail while daring greatly. And kind of the idea of like being willing to dare greatly, being willing to say, you know, I, I want to end human slavery in the world, or I want to start a business, or I want to quit my job, or I want to travel the world, or I want to, like, those are ambitious big things. And, it, and what happens if it doesn't happen? Being okay with that. So I think as a leader, being okay with that in yourself and being okay having a culture that says that's okay for other people to, to, to try and fail. You know, and the biggest thing is just that we, we all keep learning. We learn about ourselves, we learn from others, and we learn. And I think that's all really important. I know when I was back in New York Live, an agent, one of the better agents in our company, she came down from, I think, Santa Clara or something to come talk with us. And then she, she didn't know many of she made me know like a few of us but it was so, her story was so interesting like she was telling us about her life and how she got into new york live and then she she bought the story of like how someone in her family died or something and she started crying and just, just kept going more of that story and i was like wow and she she said that that's her role in being made her very successful in, in new york live it's like, wow, you can definitely tell, you know, everyone can relate to her. You know, people understand that she's not here to sell them something. She's here to benefit them. And it's coming from her vulnerability that made her so strong. It's like, wow, oh, it's crazy. So, I mean, it's, and that happened to uh, actually one of the kids I volunteer, I volunteer with. She, she, we were going over how to tell stories kind of like for public speaking. And then she was really scared to tell her story because she afraid that we we're going to see her as weak. But then she was telling the story of how she came from, I think like somewhere from Latin America. And she was saying that like, she experienced something. She had to overcome some kind of problem with her parents or something like that. And then she started kind of tearing up. And then like, we all, all of us there were felt her power and the triumph that she came from that and how that made her so much stronger. And I told her, it's like, wow, that's, that's so amazing that you told us that, you know, I told her that you shouldn't see that vulnerability as a negative. That's so strong, you know, not everyone can do that. It takes so much willpower and courage to do that. And it's, I told her, like, you should definitely hang on that vulnerability as a strength for the rest of your life and just show that to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Vulnerability is one of those things we both admire and it terrifies us. Uh, I remember I, I made a post uh, just a little bit. My, I, I, I'm divorced. I divorced. I got divorced a few years ago, and I just I've come from a religious religious background. At one point, I was a, a pastor, and so I dealt with a lot of religious shame and just the idea of like, well, am I okay? Like, is God mad with me? Are people? And I just I, I basically wrote this post on Facebook that just was kind of talking through some of the experience of how my life had changed 
since being divorced and just some of the things I went through and my own self doubts and, and just, you know, people said shaming things or hurtful, just stuff would happen and just kind of what, so, you know, losing friends and things like this and just what that experience was like going through that. And as I shared that post, I ended up getting like I don't know, over a hundred people responding. It was like my most ever responded to things. Again, it's very raw. It's very vulnerable. And Yet, like, there was a number of people that said, oh, man, I, I've been, I'm on my second or third, I've, I've, I've gone through this before. Hey, I totally feel this. And, and again, some people won't understand. They won't understand why in the world would you ever share something like that? But I, I didn't write it for those people. I, I wrote it for the people that are like, wow, I'm really, I just didn't know it was okay to share something like this. And so it actually gives people permission to actually share their own stuff too, which I think is really wonderful. We're about to wrap up right now. I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask all my guests. Uh, first one is, let's say you have a niece or nephew that's somewhere between 5 to 12 years old. And they go up to you and they ask, Uncle Bronson, what's the best advice that you can give to me to help me become the best leader I can be? That's a be pretty sharp of a five or seven or eight. You know. But no, I, I do think I do think, uh, you know, the idea of what, what are next steps that I should take. I think that it's I think it's really important. Um, I do think I mentioned that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think it made me one for kids. I think that book is just amazing because it talks about, you know, how to view money in a different way than the way other people do, where you just go and get a safe, secure job with benefits. I think we're seeing that now in the time of coronavirus that, you know, having other options is important. Um, I also think, you know, the power of mentors asking for advice, how things work, uh, you know, just being curious about things, being curious and, and, and just really, you know, again, asking people that you admire, what is something that I can do to grow and develop? And a lot of times people that are young, you know, again, they may not be able to articulate it, but, um, you know, I think just the idea of being open to people that they respect, they see something, oh, this person's a lot of fun. They seem like they really enjoy their job or they seem like they're enjoying it. And, and I think for us that are older, a lot of people I imagine that are going to watch this are older is just being attentive to that. So what are the things that we can see in them. It's like, oh, well, they really are good with building things. Well, maybe, hey, if you ever tell these kids, you know, hey, if you ever thought of being an engineer, you know, people, that's what they do for a living. They build and they design, and they do things. So a way of calling things out almost as, as a mentor to younger people, I think is really important. So I think, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest thing I would say. Okay. From being a leader, what's one key or some key takeaways you've gotten from it? The key takeaways uh, from being being a leader, I think I think the biggest thing is just really how am I living my life intentionally? Uh, you know, kind of the idea of living on purpose, so that life is not just happening to me, but really living in such a way that I'm making the most of every situation. I did an event this last year, and I'm planning to do it every year now. It's in uh, it, it's with a bunch of people that are really goals minded. They have this two and a half day goals event, and we sit in a room and they talk about what goals are and you set goals for yourself. And I've set basically eight primary goals for this year. And um, it's given me something to focus on. And one of these goals is basically reading 52 books this year. And I think it's, let's see, we're in May and I've actually finished 30 books. So I'm actually on my way. So I'm excited. COVID's actually helped with that a little bit. So just, yeah. Setting goals, you know, setting, who, you know, becoming a person that sets goals because nothing, if somebody else has done it, it's not impossible. There's nothing that separates you from uh, any, you know, Elon Musk or Gandhi or, or any of these other people because they've done great things. So we can emulate them. We can read about them. We can research them. And again, we can set goals for ourselves to learn, to, to uh, you know, produce information, to write a book, 
to travel, to do these things that we want to do if we just simply start to focus on it and we say, this is what I'm doing. And then our subconscious starts saying, oh, this is what we're doing. We're going to read this many books. We're going to travel. We're going to do whatever. And so it's just, it's amazing how if we're intentional in our life, the things that we're able to produce and accomplish. That's great. I definitely agree with that. And last question, what's your favorite leadership book? Oh, my favorite leadership book, I kind of uh, hinted earlier, I really like John Maxwell a lot. I read this, this is a great book, I think, for somebody who's interested and hasn't really read much about leadership. Um, the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, that was one of his uh, earlier ones that I read. I've read some, I, all his stuff is good, but uh, that, that was an exceptionally good book because it kind of talked about the different ways people actually influence others. And he talks, you know, like, you know, managing is different than leading. Leading actually has to do with inspiring and really calling things out of people. And really, some of these quotes that I gave were kind of the idea of like, you know, really causing people to change and causing people to actually take action. And I think that that's really, really important. So I, I recommend that one, right? My highest recommendation. Yeah, I definitely love that book too. I think a lot of the, his, John's principles are super simple, but they're super hard to execute and really to embody and help others do as well but i mean it's his books are just phenomenal great no they're they're really great yeah um, again thank you again bronson i definitely learned a lot and i hope you as the viewers and listeners have learned a lot as well um where can we more learn more about night hawk equity so you can uh if you want to send me an email i'd love to respond um the best email is probably uh bronson at growingcashflow.com so <laughs> There. Also, you can go to the Nighthawk Equity website, which is nighthawkequity.com. So you can check that out. But yeah, I'd love to connect with anybody. Uh, I've really enjoyed talking with you today, Garrett. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you again, Ronson. I hope everyone stays healthy, well. And don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe. So see you next time.